Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the southeastern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to the vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about angel investing and early stage investing in the Southeastern United States. Today, we have a couple of guests with me to uh, talk about a subject that I know almost nothing about, but they know a lot about. So hopefully, um, you will get some useful information from them and we will have a good discussion about a new subject. Uh, The subject today is called direct indexing, and it is something you can do as a early stage investor after you have finished your angel investing journey. So the point of this subject um, is to help you figure out what to do with your net proceeds when you've made a successful angel investment, or if you're an entrepreneur, the proceeds that you have got from uh, your successful exit. So hopefully uh, this will apply to you at some point. Um, And I know the team are going to make sure that you know to uh, dig into this before you think you need it. That's an important takeaway from what we'll talk about today. So um, I'm going to let Doug English and Wes Johnson from ACT Advisors introduce themselves and um, we will tee up a good discussion. Doug. Hi, Paul. Delighted to be here to join you to talk about uh, how direct indexing can uh, help us uh, angel investors to pay less taxes. Thanks, Doug. So you are uh, and have been an angel investor yourself, right? So this is not just academic. This is a, a tangible subject that you have grappled with. Yes, I have uh, I have had the, the good fortune to have a, a successful exit with Atlas. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, uh, we had uh, some of the proceeds that were qualified small business stock. We did not have to share any of that with the government. There was no income tax due on that part, but some of it was taxable. Uh, And that got me thinking, uh, gee, I I sure would like to not have to pay all these capital gains taxes. I wonder if there's something I can do about that. And my uh, partner, Wes Johnson, and I, we we run an an RIA firm uh, throughout the uh, Carolinas. And and, uh, we have a wide variety of ways we do uh, investment management and uh, lots of financial planning and analysis. Uh, and we uh, we spent a lot of money on some software that allows us to do direct indexing for um, for folks in a variety of situations. But the uh, in your intro, you mentioned that uh, direct indexing is obviously uh, it's very useful if you've come into the funds or you have a successful ex- exit either as an entrepreneur or as an investor. But the very best way would be if you if you simply had some funds that we're going to be involved in the public markets anyways, to be direct indexing on an ongoing basis for a long period of time, because it builds up these capital losses. We'll, we'll get into exactly how that happens. But you want to show up at the win when you get the big monetary event from, uh, from your investments or from your business. You want to show up there with a nice tax buffer, so you don't have to to deal with that big tax event that uh, those of us that are fortunate to have an exit uh, have to deal with. Okay, great. So hopefully you're listening to this podcast then several years before you get to that successful result, um, and you can take some of these lessons and apply them in that in that time. Maybe Doug, just to start things off, you can tell us what this means. What is direct indexing? 
Yeah, direct indexing came to exist because of a price war. Um, the uh, big custodians, Schwab, TD, Fidelity, and others, got into a trading price war, right? And, and you may have seen several years ago where the price of stock and ETF trading went from uh, you know, $10, $20, $30 a trade uh, all the way down to zero. Uh, where several of the major custodians now have stock trading that is completely free. Uh, so once that happened, that changed the dynamic for the software companies involved in the investment industry. And it allowed, uh, it allowed some things that were only being done at the very, very largest of scale to now be able to be done in a smaller scale. So what direct indexing is, is the uh, is sort of the result of that, as if, if there was no cost, no explicit cost, I'll say, to trade, what you can do is instead of just buying an index like the S&P that you, uh, you own and just hold on to for a period of time because it's super cheap, it's uh, historically very effective, uh, it, it, it Build, helps you build wealth over time. Well, instead of just doing that and owning the S&P as a whole, you can own its components because the, the, the cost of actually buying, if you tried to buy all 500 stocks, what would be the cost? Well, 500 times zero is zero, right? It wouldn't cost anything. And what direct indexing it is doing is using software to buy just enough stocks to track the S&P. So that's what Wes does for us is he runs the software that actually uh, does this and kind of give us some examples of how many stocks he's been trading in that. But the idea is you use the software to buy enough stocks. It's usually about 200 or so, uh, 250 to track the S&P. Uh, and then you can change them because what software allows us to do is to track the S&P with a combination of a variety of different stocks. So you can sell the stocks that have gone down and buy something else that the software tells us will continue the tracking of the index that you want. And when you do that, you get a tax loss for the stock that's gone down. So over time, those tax losses build up and particularly in volatile years like 2022, they can be very substantial. I know we're seeing something like 20, 25% uh, tax loss uh, harvesting, 20, 25% of the account value in tax loss harvesting so far this year. And just contrast that. Pretend that you own the S&P from January 1st to now. So the, the market has basically come down all year long and you still own the S&P. What's your tax alpha, your tax value? There isn't any. Right. You, you didn't get any any tax impact. You just said some dividends along the way. And you saw your statements came in. If you opened them, you were not happy. <laughs> that, that, yeah. That's the experience of 2022. Well, if you're doing the exact same thing in direct indexing, uh, Wes is making these trades every week that are capturing the losses from things that have gone down or replacing them with something else. Your return is going to be virtually identical to the S&P 500 return, because that's what the software does. But you've got this tax loss that is built up that can be carried forward forever and used to offset capital gains. 
So that's the key. That's the key to the whole strategy is you build up these losses. You don't have to use them this year. You can use them whenever your big win comes through, either through public market investing or angel investing or as an entrepreneur. And all the way, all the way, uh, the whole time, you have liquidity, intraday liquidity. You can give the securities away. You can borrow against the securities. You can do whatever you want. You have no commitments of any kind. So there's a lot, a lot more behind that, but I'll stop for a second. No, that's great. Um, that's a really good intro. I, I just want for the slow learners on the call, so me, I just want to reiterate a couple of key points there. So the intention on the the intention is to use money you've already got in the public markets. You've already you're already buying or you already want to buy, you know, the the S and P five hundred index. So it's not new money. It's money you're already you, you know deploying already. Using this strategy, your return expectation is the same as it would have been with not using this strategy. So you're still aiming at the same return the S&P is going to get. Obviously, in 2022, it's down 22% right now. So that's not great. But in most years, it's up and to the right, you know, 10% average annual rate of return over the last, whatever, 50 years. So you're still aiming at that. And the software that uh, Wes is using and others are using is sophisticated enough to m- not quite guarantee that, but pretty much get pretty close to that most of the time, pretty much all the time. In fact, um, you know, we've never reliable. seen drift of any substantial amount. You know, that's and, and the the drift, the you know, getting away from the index is something that Wes can control. Right, he sets it up in the software. And you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this, Wes. When he does the trading, it, it, it'll give him feedback about that. Tell us a little bit about that process, if you would. So if, you know, the, the system tracks the S&P remarkably close, as long as we don't give it a lot of restraints. You know, there, there's a lot of customization that can be done, and I know we're probably going to get to this in a few minutes. But the more constraints we put, the more rules, you know, don't invest in this sector because you're already exposed to this sector, or I don't want any... You know, I don't know, weapons, stocks in there. You can put constraints on it. And the more of those that you put, uh, the the higher the tracking error is going to be, the more it may deviate from the S&P 500. But if you don't put any restraints and you just say, track the S&P 500 and let's harvest some losses every week, it is remarkably close to the S&P 500. Okay, got it. So my return expectation is the same. But using this strategy, I just have these tax losses that are building up. And those are long-term capital gains, but the loss version of that. So I can keep them, they sit there, and um, I can use them one day. They're usually short-term, Paul. Oh, short-term capital gains. Okay, great. Even better, because those are generally taxed at a higher rate than long-term capital gains, right? Exactly. Okay, so I've uh, I've got these capital losses I can then use for when I have the corresponding income one day as a capital gain from something else, from my angel investing portfolio, hopefully, that I can use them against and therefore don't pay so much tax on them. Exactly. And, and okay. that, then as Wes mentioned, uh, you know, kind of the, there's a sort of a four-step process in, in designing this. And, and the first part, it really goes back to financial planning and overall financial strategy to say, well, which index should I track? You know, for most of our folks, we're using uh, a combination of the S and P uh, and the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. Uh, it's it's an ETF with the VTI as the symbol, and the reason is that there's like three thousand securities uh, in that index. And so when Wes is doing these trades, the system has 
3,000 securities to choose from. It still only needs around 200, 250 or so to replicate that index, but it has a lot of choices to be made from. So you get a, get a lot of tax alpha that way. So the first step is to say, in the context of your personal financial strategy, how much equity market participation makes sense? Uh, and once you have that answered, then the next question is, do you want to customize that exposure, because in direct indexing, since you own the underlying securities, A, it doesn't have any portfolio level cost, right? You own the stocks. There's no cost between you and Caterpillar stock. You own Caterpillar stock. Uh, but then you can say to the software, I don't want to participate in either things that you have social reasons to not want to own or things where you have portfolio exposures you want to build around. So if you're uh, an entrepreneur and your company was uh, taken out uh, by Microsoft and you took, uh, you had to take that 25% uh, rollover money that we see happen with entrepreneurs sometimes, you had to take a certain amount of the uh, purchaser's stock. Well, you might want to say, all right, I want to exclude the uh, technology sector of the economy and build around that so I don't have too much exposure to that one thing. So you can customize these things and truly make them your own personal index. Uh, but we start by just uh, tracking a public index, customize it if that makes sense, uh, and then, uh, then invest, and then we can uh, harvest in a very specific and custom way. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southern startups. The fund allows for quarterly investments with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, visit rollingsouth.vc. The next question, Doug, is when do we start doing this? Does this work in good, good stock market performances or bad or both? And how much lead time do we have to, to get started on doing something like this? Well, if you are expecting, there is no, it's completely liquid, right? So you can put money in anytime you want. You can take money out anytime you want. And the losses that you harvest can be carried forward forever. So there really isn't a bad time to be doing direct indexing. However, there is a times when it is more effective. And the times when it is more effective is when you have more volatility, because you have more stocks, uh, you know, going up and down, and the, the down ones can be sold, capture the loss, and replace them with something else. Like that's when, uh, that's when you see the tax losses really build up rapidly. And 2022 has been incredible for uh, that kind of activity. Okay, got it. Could you give us a like tangible example of a kind of use case for an entrepreneur or an investor that that you would you could walk us through? Yeah. So if we can, we can pretend uh, that for an investor, um, you know, usually those of us that are, are doing angel investing have public markets exposure elsewhere, right? It's not usually the first investing you do is angel investing. I guess it's possible, but uh, it would seem a bit unusual. So if you have uh, if you've got some money that's in the public markets, anyways, um, repositioning uh, some of that money into direct indexing then starts to to build the losses, and the losses just kind of 
build up, uh, as we mentioned earlier, their short-term capital losses, and you can use them to offset capital gains to an unlimited extent. And if you don't have capital gains in a particular year, you can use them uh, against ordinary income at the rate of $3,000. So the ideal uh, starting point for a uh, an, an investor would be as soon as possible because you just keep building those up. Again, if you, if you imagine that you're still tracking the index that you were going to track anyways, you're doing so with no portfolio level cost at all because there's no instrument between you and the investment, you and the stock. Um, so you're you're getting the same results as you were going to get anyways, but you're getting these tax losses and they're building up and building up. And then when your uh, angel investing uh, prowess comes to uh, fruition and then you get paid uh, from the win, you're able to offset that win with those tax losses. So there's there's really no downside that Wes and I can come up with to uh, to the tax loss harvesting strategy. Still track the index, just have this next nice uh, tax offset to use against wherever your capital gains come from. Now, it, it, um, if uh, that covered it well enough, I'll go on to an entrepreneur example. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, do that. So uh, as we know with entrepreneurs, they are often um, somewhat cash strapped, right? There isn't often an entrepreneur that has a sort of side fund, uh, if you will. Usually everything is in the business. But there are some that have a prior uh, experience, prior exits, and they're sort of keeping some money on the sidelines in case this doesn't work out, right? Well, in that case, that person is in a similar uh, situation to the entrepreneur, where it's probably going to make sense to have some exposure to the public markets. It probably makes sense in the context of your financial plan to own equities. Now you can put those uh, the constraints around whatever you might need to, as far as you want to exclude things that you don't like in your uh, social uh, um, governance. Or you can exclude things that are in your industry if your startup company is in... Um, particular area. But then the losses for the entrepreneur are even more very valuable, right? Because as the odds are, the entrepreneur's outcome is going to be a much larger outcome than the investors. Uh, and so they, they can build those losses up over many years, uh, over a decade, if necessary. And then when their uh, monetization happens, uh, all of that can be used to offset that uh, long-term cap gain from the sale of their business. So it you know, makes sense for both of them for as many years in advance of the large win as possible. Now, if you're an entrepreneur and you are picking when you're going to take your proceeds, um, you know, of course, uh, if you didn't have money to invest before your monetization event, I'd want to think about doing that early in a calendar year because then you could say I got you know I got my 20 million dollars from the sale of my business I know that's going to create this massive uh, capital gain and you do the math with your CPA and they say uh, you know you got to set aside uh, x amount of millions of dollars well you could take uh, that amount of money or or more and put it into direct indexing and then as you go through the year build up those losses and offset the gain from the sale of your business. Okay, got it. Um, so the bad news is if I sell the business right at the end of the year and I haven't done this in advance, there isn't much I can do about it. But even if I haven't done it in advance and I sell it in early in the next year, 
there is potentially some mitigation impact that I can I can get in that year. Right. You only have the the time in the calendar year that remains if you haven't been doing it uh, earlier. Yeah. Uh, however, there you know there's a couple of things that tend to happen uh, for the entrepreneur. Right. The entrepreneur uh, doesn't necessarily get all the money. Uh, and all the tax impact right at closing. You know, they usually get, they may get the majority of it then, but then the uh, acquirer may have, uh, uh, again, required some rollover stock and the expectation may be that the uh, the combined entity is going to have another liquidity event in a certain period of time. Well, then, then getting direct indexing going with some of those proceeds is going to make a lot of sense for that next um, liquidity event. Okay. Great. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on southeastern startups. The fund allows quarterly investment with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, please go to rollingsouth.vc. If somebody's interest is piqued by this conversation so far, what should they do next? Um, I, I would uh, start out probably with just sort of Google searching a bit on what direct direct indexing is and how it works, uh, just to validate that, that you know this is not a uh, Act Advisors exclusive. This is something that has existed for a few years now, uh, and uh, is is well established as a, a practice that works that's uh, well known. So just sort of uh, I would start out by validating the concept in the public domain. And then specifically, the way we work with entrepreneurs and investors is, again, we're a financial planning and wealth management firm. So our job is, is a sort of comprehensive look through the tax return, the insurance documents, the uh, ownership of assets. Uh, the, uh, you know, we don't do taxes. We don't have law degrees. We don't sell insurance. Uh, we're, you know, we're a fee-only uh, financial planning and investment management shop. But for the entrepreneur, when we go through all of those things and organize all that stuff in your digital vault, uh, for most entrepreneurs, that is the most organized they may have ever been uh, in in running their business. We're, we're going to go through it very uh, detailed and look to to try to save money if there's some uh, opportunity to push down on some tax cost or some insurance cost. Uh, but at the very least, we're going to get very organized and provide recommendations around all of those areas and then interface with the appropriate professionals uh, if that's necessary to to look again at liability coverage or look again at uh, professional uh, coverage for the business. Um, then um, in light of that financial analysis, that's where we would implement uh, direct indexing into the portfolio if that made sense for that particular person's financial strategy. Uh, so we uh, are, the name of our firm is ACT-Advisors. Dot com, uh, and you can uh, reach uh, Wes or myself for a demo. Uh, I'm Doug at actact-advisors.com, uh, and Wes is Wes at act-advisors.com. So we we have a, a more specifics that we can get into on an individual basis if uh, someone wants to know more. Okay, great. I would encourage people to go explore doing that. Um, I'd also just quickly direct listeners back to episode 12 that we did about qualified small business stock and some of the implications of angel investing uh, there. 
Uh, we spent a lot of time there talking about how some proceeds from angel investing doesn't attract capital gains tax at all. Uh, but there are a lot of scenarios where, unfortunately, the QSBS doesn't apply. Uh, if you um, if you buy common stock in a company from an ex- a departing employee, for example, or you invest in a convertible note that doesn't convert, you you are going to be on the hook for some capital gains uh, implications there. That this might be a strategy uh, that that would make sense for you to consider as well. Um, and finally, for people out there who are fortunate enough to be fund managers and receive carry on deals, uh, typically that is also capital gains that you can't avoid capital gains taxes on um, in, in a lot of situations and <laughs> increasingly more situations as they make the rules uh, tighter for carry and fund managers. And so again, this this approach may be useful for you to consider as a, as a mitigant against that as well. Doug and Wes, thank you. Appreciate your time today. And uh, we will encourage people to follow up with you and learn more. Yep. And we uh, will uh, be uh, visible and involved in some of the uh, uh, the angel investing network uh, activities. So we'll be around to ask, answer questions and just kind of keep providing the education because this is one of those things that's a little complicated. And I think it deserves uh, ongoing sort of looks at what about this situation? What about that situation? We want to answer those questions and provide full transparency for uh, why we, we both have uh, direct indexing accounts ourselves and and think that uh, it's going to be a substantial win for investors and entrepreneurs going forward. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at VentureInTheSouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows and contact us if you have any comments or a request.